the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. According to today's guest, Mark Nepo, after we are physically born, we must be spiritually born a second time, a process that takes place through the labor of a lifetime. Mark joins us today to talk about how, no matter what is going on in the world around us, we can tap into our inner wisdom and strength for sustenance. Mark is the author of the number one New York Times bestseller, the Book of Awakening. He was named by Watkins Mind, Body, Spirit as one of the 100 most spiritually influential living people. Mark has appeared on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday and traveled the country with Oprah on her The Life You Want tour. His new book is The Book of Soul, Creating a Path to What Matters. Welcome, Mark. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. Oh, you're welcome. It's great to be with you again, for sure. So, Mark, your new book, The Book of Soul, it's truly something that is called for today with all of the fear and illness and uncertainty that's resulted from the coronavirus pandemic. It's more important than ever for us to learn to turn inward for strength. So let's start off there. What advice do you offer to nourish our listeners and to help them stay strong through all of these challenges? Yeah, so so let's let's talk for a second about you know, and this has helped me understand. And sometimes I hear people have said to me, you know, I don't have time for an inner life. There's so much going on. It's, you know, everything is so crisis. And, and I, you know, I feel deeply all the traditions have said this is exactly when we need to turn inward. And why? Well, think of a tree, a strong, big, like redwood tree. And, you know, we know that a tornado or a hurricane can up and the tree, but most of the time they're, they they don't. And why? Because they have deep roots and a wide trunk. And that's why we need an inner life to deepen our roots and strengthen our trunk. So the rest of who we are in the world doesn't get toppled by the unexpected storms. So how do we do that? Well, it's it's individual for everyone, but I think one of the things, and this is, you know, from my other work, I'm 69, in my 30s, I almost died from a rare form of lymphoma, and I've been surprised, I guess, that emotionally, a lot of what we're all going through as a humanity are things that I felt they echo things that I went through individually, and I'm sure anyone who went through kind of what I did would. Um, so, you know, there's this constant, this constant low-level fear that's everywhere, you know, and, and I think one of the challenges for all of us, we're not going to eliminate fear. Fear has its proper place, but we as humans, we always inflate our fear. Mm-hmm. We always make it worse. You know, if I talk to, if I ask my fear what I should do, it's going to tell me be more afraid. Right. <laughs> because fear is to be moved through, not obeyed. And so we have to feed more than our fear. So when it flares, I know I have to practice, doesn't matter how much you know or what, where you've been, we all have to deal with it. So every day during all of this, I've had my fear hooked. Every day, I'm not sure what, but something hooks my fear. And I have to breathe through it 
and let it subside and right size. And so that means letting in more because under our fear is the rest of life, you know? And so we have to touch into that through introspection, through listening, through talking to loved ones, through letting in beauty and art and truth, love. And that looks differently for every person. Like, what does that mean to someone listening? Well, you have to, you have to specifically say, what does that mean? Does that mean I put on my favorite record that touches my heart? Does that mean I call up my oldest friend? Does it mean I, I get down on the floor with my dog because my dog isn't a part of my fear? What can I do to feed more than my fear? If we don't do what you're saying, do you think that it will be extremely difficult for us to return to any type of, and I, don't, I hate to use the word normal because I don't even know what that will look like, but if we don't learn how to ground ourselves and have those deep roots, how will we ever be able to go back into the world again? Well, I think I think that's that's a, a great question, and I think this is the challenge, you know, for all of us. You know, we think in the quote more normal times that we came from, you know, all the spiritual traditions. We all say, "Oh, that's nice. I don't have time for it," or "Oh, that's abstract," or "That's too deep." And when something like this happens, either personally, like me almost dying from cancer, or collectively with this pandemic. These are not abstractions. Now they are tools in our toolbox. Right. This is the only way we get to tomorrow. And what's what's so jarring and reminding is that all the traditions say we are each other, and what happens to one happens to everyone. Well, now, here we are, and we walk outside. If we put on a mask, we're not just doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for everyone. When we take care of ourselves, we're taking care of everyone. You know, if in... A global, uh, in an in a individual body, all the cells matter so that they can keep the body healthy. And now in the global body, every soul matters because it contributes. And I think we won't be able, this is, you know, I, I've been, we only go out here. I'm in Michigan, only when necessary. But one of the troubling things is most people are, uh, taking this seriously, but there we encounter those who are not. Mm-hmm. We're not keeping distance. We're not wearing a mask. And it's not just uh, taking a risk for yourself. When, when people do this, you're taking a risk with everyone's well-being. And so it is important. It's very important. And I think, you know, in terms of this new normal, this also echoed my cancer journey. You know, when I got diagnosed all those years ago, I went into a doctor's office. And when I came out of that office, the door I had come through was gone. I don't mean physically gone. I mean the life that the normal that I went through when I got diagnosed, there was no normal to return to. Life had changed. And this, I I think has happened to all of us. Uh, we don't know what this is going to look like, but the the life we we all had three four months ago is gone, and that's hard. You know, I've been spending the last several weeks uh, wrestling with that and accepting that. You know, I'm someone one of the kind of small tribe of people who, you know, my life was I traveled everywhere and was very at ease in the world. Um, and loved, loved being with people in person in these circles, exploring just what we're talking about. And, you know, I've been grieving that. I miss it. I'm learning how to teach online. I just uh, designed my first webinar and, um, and you know, moving forward, learning how to find that. But we're, we're all spinning in this, and I think we all have to have to open our hearts and to listen to each other with all the thousand feelings that are coming up as we let go of one world and make our way into the new. You know, Mark, we had been living for so long in this me, me, me world, and now we're really being reminded that we're part of something larger and that we're truly connected. As you were saying, everything each one of us does impacts another, and it always did, but we never saw it. We wouldn't pay attention to it. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. You know, one of the things I learned in, which is in the new book, um, and I talk about our true, there's a section in the book called Our True Inheritance. And part of our true inheritance is that, that interconnection, that kinship that we share with all of our life and not even restricted to human life, with all life. And, you know, one of the things uh, I talk about, well, and every tradition has talked about this, and I'm just adding my own take on it, but um, what it means to be a spiritual warrior. And it seems even more important now. And so what I learned was, if you look at the word war, it goes back to an Indo-European word that means to confuse, to mix up. And so war has always resulted, and conflict and violence has always resulted from a state of confusion within us and between us. And so to be a spiritual warrior means to be devoted to the clearing up of confusion. So within us and between us, so we inhabit that kinship we're talking about, so we can remember we are each other and know that we're all, that what one happens to one happens to all. So, you know, anyone who's listening, I invite you to think, if you will, for a few minutes today, is there some confusion within you and around you that you can identify? And then what's one step you can take toward clearing up that confusion? Because that will matter. Mark, uh, many people I've spoken to describe what's happening in the world today as some kind of a, a correction a, of bringing us back to what's really important in life. Do you share that belief? Uh, yes, I do. And this in no way minimizes the terrible, terrible suffering and pain and loss of losing so many people, of every, of what everyone is going through. It is no one individual's fault or any, but, but we are throughout history. There have been these incidents, whether it's in an individual life or in the, in humanity as a whole that jar us back to what matters, you know, great love and great suffering have always broken us open. And it's interesting that uh, we are being challenged. You know, um, the word Sabbath literally means, in the Jewish tradition, the one day we don't turn one thing into another. And we have been forced into a global Sabbath. We have been forced to stop bending and manipulating and taking and exchanging and rushing. And, you know, we've been forced to stop and see things as they are, and to stop turning one thing into another, that the miracle of life right here is sacred. One of the things that I've been very mindful of doing, because it's so easy to fall into the trap of, I'm stuck in the house, I can't see people, I'm alone, I'm afraid I'm going to get sick. It's very easy to go down that black hole. So what I've been trying to do every day is to write down all of the things for which I'm grateful for during this time. Simple things, you know, like I have enough food. We're in a, a, a warm, safe house. My children are healthy. What type of a gratitude practice do you have that may be a little bit more specific to what we're going through? Well, I think the one thing is, and, and this speaks to, and what you're speaking to is, and we alluded to it earlier, but each of us has to develop a practice of letting in what is difficult and going further and letting in all that is okay and all that is beautiful and truthful and loving, not turning from the difficult, you know, not like, Oh, I'm sad, cheer me up, but enlarging our hearts so that all of it, we can hold and feel all of it so that it's right sized. So for me, you know, one of the things I do every day, and I did this before, but it has more meaning for me now. A very simple, I do three things every day, which are like very simple rituals to start my day. I, I, you know, I'm a morning person. My wife's a night person, Susan. And the um, mm -hmm. first thing I do when I get up is I open the blinds, conscious that I'm letting light in. Then I take care of my dog, who I love. And then I always make coffee for Susan before she gets up so that I'm doing something for someone I love. So I let light in, 
I tend something living and I do something for someone I love. And then that gives me a something large enough to hold my fear when it comes later in the day. So for anyone listening, you know, those are just examples. You certainly don't, you know, uh, I offer examples, not instructions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but what, what's one or two things that you can do every day, whether it's the beginning of the day or during the day, that, are, that, that can be a personal ritual that helps you give context? Because as terrible as this pandemic is, the rest of life is still going on. Mm-hmm. The rest of life is still a miracle. You know, I was very struck as I've been reflecting on this, that somewhere, you know, months ago, right, somewhere in China, under all the noise, under all of our rushing and going and feeling like we're behind and we got to get ahead, and under the fabric of everything, very quiet, silently, at a microscopic level, one atom shifted in its relationship to the atoms around it, and this virus was born, and it's been speeding around the planet. Well, we need to open our hearts so that love can move as quickly as disease, so that give can move as quickly as take, so that light and love can move as as fast as everything, uh, as the suffering that's happening. And the only way we can do that is by renewing the truth that we are each other. We are connected when you step back, and I'm listening to the words that you're saying, and I just keep getting this feeling, if we would allow it, we could see at a time like this that everyone in the world, we're, we're all experiencing the same emotions, the same fear, the same... We, we have a common goal, and I, I just hope that it could stay this way moving forward, that we could be united well, you're right, and and this happens, Joan. I think throughout. This is part of the. Uh, I go back again to my cancer journey. You know, I was never so alive and uh, clear as when I was facing death. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, the challenge was, um, how do I stay that alive and open when the emergency has passed? How do I do that? And that's why we have a relationship. That's why we have spiritual practice. It, whatever, it doesn't matter what what form of spirit you are devoted to, you know. I mean, you could be an atheist and still practice this, this reverence for life, mm-hmm. you know. But that's the thing is once we're open, how do we stay open and keep this deep connection of life alive before us how do you how do we teach it to our children you know and i feel very much for you know the generation of young people who are graduating this is going to define their generation just the way world war ii defined our parents generation mm-hmm. just the way you know vietnam defined a generation this is you know going to call as lincoln said on our better angels to keep that very awareness you're talking about alive. Mark, do you have any programs, in addition to your new book, do you have any programs that you're offering right now that can help our listeners get through everything we've been talking about? Oh, yes, thank you. For, thank you. And as I mentioned, I just finished designing, and it's live now to register my first webinar. And so in June, the first three Mondays of June, there will be uh, it's all part of one webinar, three hour and a half sessions um, focused on the one life we're given, saying yes to life, and very much exploring all the things we're talking about in more depth and more detail. And to register for that, um, you simply have to go, and all the details are at live.marknepo.com, live.marknepo.com. Um, and, um, yeah, so I welcome anyone, um, who's moved or interested to, to join, join me on those. And as always, if our listeners would like to get more information about any of Mark's other work, you can visit marknepo.com. So live.marknepo.com or marknepo.com. Mark, in our final moments, what is the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? 
Oh, you know, I would like to leave with with two small, small poems. They're very short. One is on how to face the fear and the things that cover us. And it, it's called practicing. And it goes like this. As a man in his last breath drops all he is carrying, each breath is a little death that sets us free. So when I'm overcome by fear, and these poems are my teachers, I would say, I got to drop it. I can't think it out. I can't figure it out. Just drop it. Drop it. And move forward with my heart. And the second is, speaks to our our deep kinship we've been talking about. And the, this is just one stanza that goes like this. The mystery is that whoever shows up when we dare to give has exactly what we need hidden in their trouble. When in doubt, give, and we will discover that we are more together than alone. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. I, I want to leave it right there, more together than alone. I am so happy that you were here to share your wisdom with us. It is truly what we need today, and I look forward to when you can come back on the show. Oh, thank you so much, John. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Allison Carmen, a business consultant, life coach, and author of The Gift of Maybe, offering hope and possibility in uncertain times. Allison's podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, provides simple tools to reduce daily stress and worry. Allison is here today to discuss breaking bad habits. Welcome, Allison. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Joan. So, Allison, many of us have a bad habit or two <laughs> that we want to break. And if we want to break these habits so badly, what do you believe it is that keeps us from doing so? Well, the thing about habits is that, of course, some of us have good habits. But the ones that bother us the most are things that we look at as bad habits. And where a habit usually starts is that it gives us something. It alleviates some of our suffering. It'll give us some pleasure. And that's where the habit starts to own us because it gives us some relief. But over time, when it's a bad habit or a habit that doesn't move us forward in our life, it starts over time to harm us. And because it's been with us so long, it's really tough to break. And even just recently, I've tried to break the habit of drinking coffee. And people might think, oh, coffee is not that bad. But for me, it makes me feel a little run down. And every morning I'll wake up and I'll be like, today's the day that I'm going to break this habit. But I notice 
if my allergies are not that great or I want to be in a better mood or I want something to shift me, I'll go right towards the coffee because it's an immediate release. And that's what happens. These bad habits that we have, it's like an impulse because we just want to alleviate something that's bothering us. We just want to move past our suffering. And so we'll reach for something really quickly, but what happens over time, it might not be beneficial and it might be holding us back in a way. And so it's very important if we're able to look at where our habits are from and maybe we could incorporate new types of habits and look within ourselves to understand ourselves more because we all have the potential to make different choices. And so these choices will lead us to moving forward with our lives, achieving our goals, and allowing ourselves to have more space within ourselves to create better habits down the road. Allison, especially in the beginning of the year, you know, that was a few months ago, we start these resolutions and we decide, I'm going to change all of these habits. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and that. And we start off with a bang. We are really focused and we do a great job with it. And then somewhere along the way, we slide back into our old patterns. Is there something that you can offer to us that can help us break it in a way that lasts? Yes. Well, habits, I find habits, they're, they're always challenging to break again because they're giving us something. They're giving us an immediate pleasure or immediate release. But like we, we talked about over time, they could be harmful. And the most in, one of the most important things about breaking a habit is it creating an awareness of why we have this habit. And it's so important to look at that. And like I talked about when I was trying to stop drinking coffee, to understand why are we doing it? What is this habit giving us? And once we realize that, we're kinder to ourselves, we're more compassionate, but we also understand ourselves. To understand ourselves is often the beginning of making a change. The, the second thing that's important about breaking the habit is finding other things to replace that habit. So I find sometimes, for me, it wasn't, oh, I have to stop drinking the coffee immediately. It's what else could I incorporate in my life? to help me move forward. So I would work out a little bit more. I would find different drinks that were more nurturing for my body, like kombucha or bone broth. So what, what happens if you could rise up within yourself and find things that are more beneficial, sometimes it actually crowds out the bad habit. So I find sometimes it's easier to incorporate more positive things in our life. And then over time, we might look at that habit that we want to break and it might be easier to let it go. But the most important thing I find about breaking a habit is cultivating more strength within ourselves. And I know sometimes people, they could do yoga or they could meditate, but whatever creates this stillness and this inner strength, that's what's really going to help us the most because what a habit is, it's giving us something in the outside world to try to make ourselves feel better. But the more we cultivate that inner strength, we could feel better without any outer stimuli. And then if we have that okayness within ourselves, we're less likely to reach something outside of ourselves to make ourselves feel better. So the three most important things we could do is create awareness, find new habits that help enhance our well-being, that, feel, that make us feel better, and hopefully they could crowd out that habit that was harming us, and number three is to cultivate inner strength, to know that we'll be okay no matter what, which gives us more space within ourselves because habits are like reactions, reactions to things we don't like, reactions to alleviate our suffering really quickly. But when we create that inner stillness, we create more responsiveness in our lives. There's more space within ourselves to make different choices and to know we're okay and know that life has hope and possibility. And then... After that, we'll end up doing things that nurture us, that move ourselves forward. And I find that we could find more joy and success through these steps and give up bad habits and create more good habits in our lives. Allison, for the times when we do slip back into those old patterns, is there something that you can say to someone listening right now to help that person stay on track and to keep the okayness? Well, you know, I love this idea of maybe, and what I usually say is maybe everything is still okay. And what that does, it gives me pause, because sometimes when we reach for that old habit, we reach that thing we know might not be the best thing for us, it's because we're feeling shaky on the inside and we're worried that we're not going to have the life that we want. 
But if we realize that life has maybe, and life is always filled with hope and possibility, we're going to have more space and more patience and more responsiveness to make different choices in our lives. Hope will always carry us forward, and uncertainty is our best friend. And if we're willing to create the space within us, we'll be able to change our old habits and create new habits for more success and more joy in the future. Allison, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Allison and her work, or if you'd like to listen to her podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, you can visit allisoncarmen.com. And as always, to hear more from Allison, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Allison. We'll be right back. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Research shows that one out of five people are highly sensitive. But what is the difference between having empathy and being an empath? According to today's guest, Dr. Judith Orloff, having empathy means that our heart goes out to another person in joy or in pain. But for empaths, it goes much further. Dr. Orloff is here today to discuss ways to safely nurture empathy and develop coping skills. Dr. Orloff is a New York Times bestselling author and a leading voice in the fields of medicine, psychiatry, and intuitive development. Welcome, Dr. Orloff. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I'm happy to be on your show. Dr. Most people can feel another person's joy or pain. But what does it mean to be an empath and actually feel on a deep level what that person is experiencing? Well, I wrote the Empath Survival Guide to really share with people what an empath is versus just what having empathy is. And empathy is being able to feel what's going on in another person. But being an empath means you're an emotional sponge and you tend to take on whatever a person is feeling physically or emotionally into your own body and take it on as your own. So many of my patients who are empaths come in to see me with fatigue, agoraphobia, anxiety, depression. And if empaths are not properly diagnosed, then they get put on medications, they get given the wrong diagnosis, and they're not offered the tools to learn how to protect your energy and not absorb the energy of the world. And, you know, there's so much intense negative energy in the world today that empaths need to learn how to center and protect themselves and thrive with their beautiful gifts of intuition, of depth, of connection, of love of nature, love of people, wanting to help people. The empaths have wonderful gifts. And I am an empath myself, as well as a psychiatrist. And that's why I wrote the book to show people how I combine being an empath with traditional medical skills and how I protect myself in the world, which is so essential. You just mentioned some of the things that your patients experience, but what are some of the signs that tell us that we're empathic on a more positive note? Like what are things that we would be feeling or knowing because we are empathic? Empaths are able to see into the hearts of others. And so they can see what makes people tick. Empaths make wonderful healthcare professionals and givers. There's such a thing as an animal empath. Um, People who are empaths have deep connection with the animal world, so they go into animal rescue or being a vet or something to do with helping animals. They're deeply intuitive and are able to sense and know the secrets of the universe through their intuition. And empaths live in an energy world, so they sense energy all around them. And there's beautiful ecstatic energies in the world as well as difficult negative energies in the world. And so the key is to amplify all their gifts and to learn protection strategies and centering strategies to not take on the stress of others. It is not healthy to take on other people's stuff, nor is it any of our business. And so empaths have to deal with their codependency issues and really keep their eyes on themselves. And one of the key techniques that I talk about in the book is, is learning that no is a complete sentence. You can say, no, I'm so sorry, I don't feel like going out tonight. No, I I can't listen to you if you keep going around in circles and keep me on the phone for two hours because I'm exhausted. So learning how to set those really appropriate limits and healthy loving limits is very important for empaths. Judith, as I've learned more about this, 
I've really come to believe that I am an empath and I took your test and I am a full-blown empath according uh-huh. to your test. And it doesn't surprise me, but what does surprise me is, and I'm not sure if it's because of, of the fact that I'm more aware or if it's I'm aging, but it's it's getting worse for me. And what's starting to happen, for an example, and I, and I use this because I think there are a lot of people that are experiencing what I am. I'm involved on a committee with someone and this person is just so negative. And it's almost like I can feel this venom coming out of this person. So for people like me that can't get away from the person, can't get out of the situation, what do we do to protect ourselves? Because it's making me sick. Migraines, upset stomach. Um, That's such a common experience for empaths. I mean, number one, congratulations on... You know, finding out you're an empath, that's the first revelation. And you can take the self-assessment test in the beginning of the empath survival guide, anyone listening, you know, to self-diagnose yourself as an empath. It's not rocket science. You know, we have certain qualities that we contain in ourselves, our desire for alone time, our replenishment in nature. We get overwhelmed by noise, smells, excessive talking, and we get drained by energy vampires more so than other people. So in your situation, um, what you can do is practice a shielding visualization where you actually, when you're around this person, practice putting a shield of white or pink light all around your body, about five inches from the body, and you'll be able to feel a protective layer of energy. You're working with energy to stop whatever the energy is coming from the other person, stop it from going into your body, which is what you're interested in. And so you see the other person, but they seem a little bit more distant and you don't feel the impact of, of what they're doing in your own body. But there's a chapter also on combating narcissists and other energy vampires who can suck the life out of empaths and, and all people. But empaths are just very, very open. They don't have the same filters that other people have. You know, we feel everything. And that's good if you want to really connect with life and the mysteries of life. And, you know, as a psychiatrist, it certainly helps me have more compassion for my patients that I can feel what's going on in them, you see. But what you don't want to do is take it on. So that's the fine balance, you know. And and how do you be in a relationship when you're an empath? You know, I I wrote a chapter on empaths and love. And, you know, what I struggle with and successfully so far is, you know, how to – I have a deep desire to have alone time and be alone, and I also have deep desire to have a partner. And how do I reconcile that? You know, these are some of the dilemmas that empaths face. Judith, why does this happen to some people? Is it a result of trauma? Are we born this way? That's interesting. There's a wide variety of, of causes, and some people are just born empathic. I believe I was. I was just wide open to the world. I never had the same defenses. And so I think I was, you know, intuitive and open and, you know, just receptive as from a baby. But sometimes people can become empaths as a result of trauma as if they're raised by alcoholic parents or abusive parents or neglectful parents. They get their energy fields beaten down in a way that that people with really beautiful parenting, that doesn't happen. And so then they're kind of left raw and that can you know, show itself in terms of being an empath and not having the defenses that normally build up with really wonderful nurturing parenting. And this is based on neuroscience. Yeah, yeah. And it's there's a section on the book in the book on the neuroscience of empathy and empaths. And it, it, one great theory is that the mirror neuron system in the brain is hyperactive in empaths, meaning that the neurons that are responsible for compassion are on overdrive. They're working all the mm-hmm. time. They can feel what's going on in other people compared to, let's say, narcissists who have what's called an empathy deficient disorder. So their mirror neurons are hypoactive. You know, isn't that interesting? So they don't have the ability to feel anything that someone else experiences or very little. Yeah, very little. They don't have the, they're not wired for empathy. That's why there's a section in the book on the toxic attraction between empaths and narcissists. Um, because I'm warning empaths to, number one, identify narcissists you know, in terms of love partners. And mm-hmm. then if you have to work work with a narcissist, if it's your boss, then how to deal with them. But an, a, a narcissist cannot make a healthy partner 
for an empath. It's impossible. And I've seen so many empaths suffer as a result of this. Not that all my patients listen to me because they mm-hmm. fall in love with the charm of a narcissist. Right. Well, that's what we naturally attract, isn't it? Well, not, not everyone, but a lot of empaths do. So it's just a red flag to watch out for, and you make your own decisions. But I can only, you know, say, and you know, as a warning in the book, you know, don't do it. Run in the opposite direction. Judith, you mentioned that often empaths are misdiagnosed with depression, anxiety, chronic fatigue. What happens when an empath is placed on medication? Does the problem go away? Is it masked? Does it, you know, does it reveal itself in other ways? It depends on what medication they're put on. But the, the first line of treatment for empaths is not medication. I want to make that that point. And down the line, if they need a little medication, they need a little medication usually, or they use much less than what traditional doctors prescribe because their systems are so sensitive. You see, so what the problem is, is that empaths are given a horse dose of medication by traditional doctors, and it's way too much for their systems. So if I'm, let's say, working with a patient, and they do need to be on a little antidepressant, not, not to say that I give a lot of them, but let's just say there's certain people that, you know, their serotonin are deplete, is depleted. I work with the patient to give them little slivers of a dose, you know, to see if their system responds. So the whole approach has to be different with empaths. And, you know, that's what I'm trying to educate healthcare professionals. I'm giving an, an empath online course to teach people, you know, I'm kind of on a crusade to teach people and educate them about empaths. I was in Ameritrade for 23 years, and in a lot of that time, I never felt well physically, and I didn't understand. I had no idea what was going on, and it wasn't until I got divorced, and I really understood that my husband at the time was someone who saw the glass half empty. He was negative. He is more of a victim-type person, where I'm the opposite, but I never understood that it was literally energetically sucking the life out of me. I had no knowledge of that. Exactly, and that's why I'm so excited about these kinds of conversations so that people can have that aha moment of, wow, that's what's happening or that's what happened, and I don't want to repeat it again. From an energy standpoint, for people that may not be familiar with some of the things that we've been talking about, what is an energy vampire and how can another person suck the life out of you? Energy vampires are people, you know, how do you recognize one? You're around them and suddenly your eyelids get heavy, you feel like taking a nap, you start feeling toxic, you start feeling drained or anxious or depressed. So basically your mood changes and your energy level changes around these people. So it's important for empaths to intuitively acknowledge what they're feeling rather than a lot, like my patients think they're hypochondriacs or they're Mm -hmm. making things up. And I'm here to tell you, as a psychiatrist and empath, you're not making things up and you interrelate to the world via energy. So you need to trust these intuitions about people or at least go slow so that you can investigate the person to see if they really are, you know, safe for you. The other person doesn't even know they're doing this, correct? Most of the time, energy vampires are unconscious of what they do. Right. Very occasionally, they do it on purpose because they're malicious. But mostly, no, they're just unconscious. That's what makes them so dangerous. And I want to say that we all can be energy vampires at times. And we can all get into victim mode or complaining or going on and on and on, you know, whatever. But the key is to catch ourselves early and to bring consciousness into it and say, hey, okay, I'm into my energy vampire mode and how can I shift out of it? You know, your partner will be very happy. Your family will be very happy about this this consciousness stance that you have about it but i don't want to make it like them you know you know they're out there we all have the capacity we can just shift out of it quicker doctor in our final moments what's the takeaway what would you like to leave our listeners with um trust your intuition you know really don't give up on empathy but learn how to ground and center yourself Judith, thank you so much for joining us today and you can always come back i would love to have you come back no thank you i would love it we'll be right back Hi, 
I'm Gail Gruenberg, CPOCD, Chief Executive Organizer of Let's Get Organized. As a professional organizing firm that specializes in serving clients who are chronically disorganized, we help people organize their lives as well as their homes. Are you living in a small space, but you have enough stuff to fill an airplane hangar? Here are a few ways to maximize your limited space. Keep only what you need, use, and love. We tend to use 20% of our stuff 80% of the time. That means we can purge four times as much as we keep. If something doesn't satisfy your body, heart, soul, or mind, you probably don't need to hold on to it. Go vertical, use the walls, and hang as much as possible. This gets things off the floor and makes a room appear to be bigger. Hooks and mesh shoe pockets are some of the tools I like to use most often. Choose furniture pieces, size for small spaces, that will do multiple jobs, like a storage ottoman or a coffee table with drawers and a lift up top. Having fewer pieces that can multitask eliminates the need for more stuff and creates more open space. I'm Gail Gruenberg, and I can help bridge the gap between wanting to get organized and actually doing it. If you're ready to take your small space from cramped to cavernous, call me at 201-364-6833 or visit my website at lgorganized.com. When you're having a conversation in relationship and it's somewhat controversial, you probably want to be heard and be right. Quite often, that's what we want. And so we're maybe a little defensive, but is that right? Or do we want a result? The result being we'd like to get along. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson, Quality for Life Coaching. And they are two different things, getting along versus being heard and being right. See, because being heard and right is our defense, and that connects to our ego. But ego's not really going to get you that far. If you want a result, then you're going to want to work with humility and truth. So if you've got a difference of opinion, I mean, for me, I'll quickly look for a reason to say I'm sorry. And it has to be true. If I don't know what I've done yet, then I will say, I'm sorry you're hurting. I've done something wrong here because you're hurting. But let's talk further so we can figure this out. And you don't want to talk at someone by saying you this and you that because people just shut their ears. You want to use words like we and use words like experience. I'm having this experience. I know your experience is different. There isn't a right or wrong. There's just different experiences going on here. So we just need to talk it through and land somewhere that feels really good for both of us. So you want to do a lot of that non-heated conversation so that you can both feel good, but nobody is charging at another person. It's not being heard and right. It's just working toward the positive result. Lindsay Levinson, qualityforlifecoaching.com. Look me up. I'd love to talk to you, help you in any way I might be able to. Hi, doctor. Hey, freelancer. Hi there, business owner. Today's world has so many acronyms. As leaders called upon to speak to our teams, to the public, and to our patients and clients, we must be very careful about the choice of acronyms that we use. If folks don't understand our acronyms like ROI, EBITDA, EMR, CRM, FTCPA, etc., then our messages are missing the target. This is Vito Mazza with Kinem.com, and today I want to share two powerful and positive acronyms, NARUKA and NAOP. In our professional careers, when we are awarded preferred status by a particular person or organization, it's a positive idea to share that with our potential clients. I'm delighted to share a proud moment about NARUCA, the Northeast Regional Urgent Care Association, and NAOP the National Association of Occupational Health Professionals, two outstanding medical organizations. We are thrilled to announce that Kinem Inc. has just been honored with preferred vendor status by both of these outstanding medical entities. They represent two of the fastest growing segments in medicine. Kinem will be helping them with cash flow management services. We're very grateful for this recognition and would love to tell you more about it. So call me at 800 800- 850-5110. It's time for To Your Health. Joining us today is Dr. Jeffrey Weber, who's with the Laura and Isaac Perlmutter Cancer Center. Dr. Weber is here today to discuss melanoma. Dr. Weber, according to the American Cancer Society, an estimated 87,000 new cases of melanoma were diagnosed in the United States last year, and approximately 9,700 people died from the disease. What is melanoma, and whom does it affect? 
Melanoma is a cancer of the pigment cells or melanocytes that live in our skin. They tend to cluster at the junction between the inner, inner and the outer skin, which is the dermis and the epidermis. And if they become transformed or abnormal and grow out of control, they can then invade. And if you get to them early and remove them when they're in the skin only, you can cure the patient. But if it spreads within the skin, deeply into the skin, or to distant organs, those patients may die of metastatic melanoma. And the patients most at risk are those who have pale complexions, a lot of freckles, especially those with a lot of abnormal freckles, and those with blonde hair, red hair, blue eyes, green eyes, who have been exposed to the sun or tanning salons. So most melanomas are probably due to UV exposure, that is the sun and the tanning salons. Some of them are genetically predisposed whether you're in the sun or not, but most of them are related to UV light. Is melanoma more dangerous than other skin cancers? That is correct. Most cancers of the skin in the United States and around the world are so-called basal and squamous cancers. You find them, you remove them, they're usually cured. The likelihood that they would spread percentage-wise would be very low, although that happens. It just doesn't happen often with melanoma. As you may have seen, uh, 90,000 this year, the incidence, the number of cases is 90,000 probably for 2018. This is going to be about 10,000 deaths. So you have about uh, more than a 10%. It's an 11% chance of dying of the disease, whereas with other cancers, it's very low. It's 1% or less. Doctor, what are symptoms of melanoma? People should look in the skin at their moles, and if they change and grow in size, become differentiated in color, if they become shaggy in their borders, if they're asymmetric, if they get raised or bleed, that's when you get worried and you have to go to the dermatologist for a biopsy. No question. Doctor, thank you so much for being here. If you'd like to get more information, you can visit curemelanoma.org. <music> joining us, I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.